This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. And there was a window open on the top floor, and two beautiful ladies were looking out, waving at each helicopter that came in. And it was Joan Bias and Judy Collins. <laughs> I said, I think this is going to be a good one. He doesn't know about this yet, and uh, this week uh, or next week, I'm going to be uh, talking to him and and uh, saying, surprise, surprise, surprise. You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> Remember 1986? <laughs> so I, I know before Joe Satriani, that's fantastic. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate twice-weekly classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, on this week's show, we've got another Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, our seventh of the series so far, and this guest was inducted way back in 1993. He's the drummer with a band that formed as teenagers. They took a while to break through, but when they did, they ended up releasing seven incredible albums in just four years between 1968 and 1972. With that came nine top ten singles in the US and a number one single here in the UK as well. They've sold around 30 million records in the US alone and their compilation, Chronicle, The 20 Greatest Hits, has spent over 500 weeks on the Billboard 200 album chart since it was released back in 1976. It's incredible. I am, of course, talking about the band Credence Clearwater Revival, and today's guest is the drummer Doug Cosmo Clifford, whose name is on their biggest-selling studio album, Cosmo's Factory. Now, I spoke to Doug a couple of weeks ago, a few days before his 76th birthday, in fact. He was in great form despite the onset of Parkinson's disease, which has curtailed any touring plans for the future. Now, we caught up to chat about some music of his featuring people like Joe Satriani and Stu Wright from the Greg Kin Band that's now getting a release 35 years after it was originally recorded. We, of course, chat a little bit about his Credence days and Woodstock as well. So here we go. Please enjoy my chat with Doug Cosmo Clifford. I'm delighted to welcome to Vintage Rock Pod a man who's part of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a man who is part of one of the biggest groups of all time as well. They've sold millions and millions and millions upon millions of records. Welcome to Vintage Rock Pod, the man himself, Doug Cosmo Clifford from Credence Clearwater Revival. Hi, Doug. Hi, Paul. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for joining me. You've got an exciting new album coming out, aren't you, in June? Um, You've sent me the the songs across and they all sound fantastic. Now, tell me a little bit about this this album, because you brought one out last year, didn't you? Magic Window. And that was a collection of songs that was in in your vault that had been hidden away for 35 years. And this is from that same vault, isn't it? It, 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 Yes, it is. And there are more gems in there as well. But uh, this was a project called Clifford Wright. I would be the Clifford part. Uh, Steve Wright from Greg Kin yeah. is the Wright part. Fortunately, he passed away in uh, uh, 017, and uh, I'm carrying the music uh, that we uh, wrote and uh, that I produced 
in, in this uh, album. And uh, when we recorded this, now you have to understand, uh, this was recorded in 1986. So several uh, sessions with different people uh, on the one you're listening to. Uh, the guitarists, there are three, uh, Joe Satriani, uh, Greg Douglas from Steve Miller Band, and uh, Jimmy Lyon from uh, many uh, bands, I believe he uh, is another Bay Area boy. These are all Bay, San Francisco Bay Area uh, musicians, but we're from on the East Bay. That's where Credence came from. Uh, and that's the the blue uh, collar side, uh, and not the psychedelic side. So uh, it, it's a it's a really cool rock and roll record. I think uh, it's got a lot of energy in it, and good players. Uh, and and uh, we had a, a good time making the record, and, and uh, so I, I can't wait to share it with the world here in a couple of months. Absolutely, I'm I'm loving some of the rockier songs on there. Uh, Lost Pride Fever, you're gonna love again. Tell me about those ones. Well, uh, Lost Pride, <laughs> well, back in 1985, it was the uh, Summer Olympics, I believe it was. And back then, uh, America was taking bronze and, and not t- taking the gold medals because the Russians were. Mm-hmm. And the Russians were using drugs. And uh, so uh, the Lost Pride's fever was about that. We you know, we were getting beat up, uh, but they were doing it with uh, performance-enhancing drugs. And uh, so that's what that song is about. But as art and, and, and history sort of meld together, uh, here we are with a pandemic, and uh, there's a lot of fever involved in that. And uh, it's uh, people are, are, are being completely stymied by this worldwide. It's affected all of our lives. You know, I've, <laughs> I go to the grocery store and, and that's pretty much it. I, the good news is I have a nice studio in my house and I can work. So you can just take that song and put it in the picture frame of today. And uh, people would say, oh, you wrote that for the, for, for the pandemic. Well... I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> as long as it works. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Little global crystal ball that you were looking in at the time. Um, yeah. So, in, in terms of the album itself, then you mentioned the guitarist that you worked with, and incredible. They'd all worked with with Greg Kinn and all these sorts of Eddie Money guys that you mentioned. I mean, Joe Satriani is obviously a legend as well when it comes to, to playing the guitar. I mean, what do you remember about the recording sessions you working with with Joe and, and Greg and, and Jimmy? Well, uh, I remember a lot. Uh, you know, Joe was, uh, this is before uh, he started surfing with aliens. Uh, so, uh, you know, he hadn't, he had not arrived quite yet. I mean, he was a, a vel- very well-respected guitarist, certainly. We hadn't put that part of the band together. We had everybody else in place committed to their, to their spot but we didn't have the guitar spot filled. So it was a combination of I needed a guitar track or a guitar player to play on four, four tracks uh, of the, the uh, 11. What I remember about it was that, you know, he's used to being the guy out front. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not used to being in a, in a secondary role as support for a lead vocalist. And uh, so I found the, found that out uh, uh, at the session, so I, you know, he was, he, he was playing a lot of notes in, in spot, places where less is best, <laughs> and uh, so 
I, you know, had a little meeting. I said, Joe, uh, I know that you're you're just a terrific guitar player, and 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 there are spots that you will be able to do that, like in the solo spots, but in the, in the uh, verses and chorus where, where there's a, a vocal going on, you need to you need to support that. Sometimes you you do that by playing in a hole, or leaving something out of a hole, uh, you know, so I, 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 I wanted to be positive about it. Yeah. And I could see that he, he, he wasn't particularly loving that. But as the session went on, you know, well, you heard it, you know, he, he did it, he did a terrific job, as did all the, the, the yeah. guitar players, the other two as well. But Joe played on four of those songs. And when the when the session was all over, he had a big smile on his face. And I said, "You did a terrific job." He says, "You know," he says, uh, "I really I I enjoyed it. I I really learned something uh, today." Right. And and I went, "Wow, what a, what a cool guy!" <laughs> and that, that goes to show you, you know, that uh, he, he could have done a, 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 a an ego trip or whatever, but he 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 actually learned learns something that he could put in his in his. Uh, uh, resume and uh, <laughs> he didn't as it turned out he didn't have to and he went to that place where he played a million notes per minute uh, uh, and uh, and I and I of course enjoy and respect his talents so I'm excited uh, he, he doesn't know about this yet and uh, in fact this week uh, or next week I'm going to be uh, talking to him and and uh, saying surprise, surprise, surprise. You know. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Remember 1986? <laughs> uh, I love that. So I, I know before Joe Cetriani, that's fantastic. Um, in terms of this record then, we were emailing backward and forward and you said it was coming out in June. Have you got all the, the, the release, the distribution, everything like that sorted for it? Well, we have n- not exact times. Uh, as I say, it's uh, late June uh, right now. Uh, what I'm trying to, to trying to do is find also the right place to release it, yeah. so I'm not competing against uh, other releases from my my own record company. And in this case, it'll be my record company because uh, the 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 fellow that uh, I made the deal with is a distributor, Sony Orchard. So it's the big yeah. the big guns will have Sony in there, and then. Uh, he will come in and oversee what's coming from my label, which will be Cliff Song Records. And so I'll, ha- I'll be able to call the shots, basically. And uh, and I'm very, ex- very excited about that. It w- uh, the Magic Window Project had everything but a re- uh, what a, a record company would do. I didn't have a record company. So I came out on a, a CD Baby, which is an independent they they don't have the uh, the, the close ties and, and and the big guns that the Sony Orchard has. So uh, I'm 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 very excited about that. Absolutely exciting times. You mentioned Magic Window there. Let's touch on that because as you said, well as we said right at the start of the interview, it was part of this vault of, of material that you've got, and you've got plenty more to come. But this uh, album, Magic Window, came out last year, didn't it? it came out. I think it was April last year. Um, right when the pandemic hit. <laughs> good timing, Cosmo. Good timing. <laughs> Um, Who knew? Exactly. Um, in terms of Magic Window, then, it's, it differs slightly from the, the Clifford Wright one in the fact that, that you were singing, weren't you, on, on the Magic Window songs? Well, I'll tell you why. Um, you know, we had a, a, a great singer in the, in the Clifford Wright project, 
and uh, it, it just didn't it didn't work out. There were internal things, so I decided. Well, I want a de- I want a deal, for sure. And if, uh, so I put together Magic Window, where I was a singer songwriter, and uh, I, I co-wrote with different guys. This Clifford Wright material is just Steve Wright and me writing. Uh, the the Magic Window is me writing some complete songs just by myself and then writing with the guys a few guys that i do uh, uh writing with and so that's how, how I, I did magic window and it's the best uh singer songwriter uh, project i've had and uh i really worked on the vocals that was what was weak on my first solo album and so uh, I, I thought it came out pretty good. I'm very proud of it. I mean, it'll be re-released somewhere down the line, a couple of years from now, maybe. I've got a couple of other things in the vault that'll be coming out b- before that. But it's it's uh, uh, one of those amazing things that, you know, you find something 35 years old, <laughs> and not only did you find it, but it, it, it plays, and you, we were able to, you know, take it uh, from analog and get it to digital so we could preserve it because we didn't know how long that tape would last (laughs) being 35 years old (laughs) and i get to do it on my own label so it's it's a a a kind of a songwriter record company publishing deal because all the songs i'm the writer or co-writer on so it's my kind of my my writing and that's pretty cool and uh that's that's my future. Uh, I've retired from playing on the road. I've got Parkinson's disease, and so it's it's, uh, it's starting to come along. And and uh, Stu, I told Stu uh, when we did I had a project called Creedence Clearwater Revisited, where we played only Creedence songs. Stu Cook, the bass player, of course, from Creedence Clearwater Revival, and we had a five-year plan, and it ended up being twenty-five years. <laughs> <laughs> so we we played a lot. I've, I've been a road dog for 25 years and I, you know physically I'm beat up and uh, so I told Stewie I says well I guess we're, you know we're gonna have to learn a new song for the for the set and he said what are you talking about I said well, we've got to learn shake rattle and roll shake <laughs> my hands are shaking now so anyway you got to keep your sense of humor about things like that it's, it's something that happened and and uh, I've been blessed in my my life in my career and, and and i've been with my wife uh, uh well 50 53 years wow. married and then six years uh, going steady before that we were high school sweethearts so life has been very good to me i've had two careers uh successful highly successful careers the first one was revival and then the second one was revisited now i get to have uh, my own record label and uh, and put songs out that i've written and uh, wow it's pretty you know and uh, it's uh, something about dreams i believe in them because i've been in in the middle of them and bigger and they've they've come out bigger than than the dream itself was imagined but here's here's the here's the the real nitty gritty of it for for all you dreamers. If you have a dream and you and, and you you have to be totally committed to it, you have to be totally passionate about it. You have to give 
110% of what, what you have in your, your heart and in your, in your head to make it work. You can sit around and dream and, and wait for the dream to come and sit in your lap and say, okay, now you're a rock star. It ain't going to happen. You got you to gotta make it happen. Absolutely. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. That's your words of wisdom for us. Um, since we've got you on the line, it'd be nice just to talk quickly about Credence, uh, if you don't mind, Cosmo. Um, it, it, like I said at the start, it was one of the biggest groups in the world at the, the time, wasn't it? The end of the 60s, the early 70s. I mean, the height of the fame, you guys were as big as, as anybody could be, and it was just incredible. Well, you know, our, our when we started the band, we were 13 years of age, and... Uh, uh, and our our sort of credo or our our our, our call to 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 the winds that blow was someday we want to have our records played on the radio. That was that was what we, what we were sh- shooting for. Well, they've been playing them for fifty three years. <laughs> and we were only thirteen, so that was an extra forty years, you know. Uh, Absolutely. And just because um, you're the first person I've, I've spoken to that, that actually played at the, the legendary Woodstock. I mean, I know there was, it was slight issues. You didn't get on until after midnight and things like that. But what were your memories of that incredible event? Well, it was uh, it was crazy because uh, first and foremost, the, the logistics were completely blown out of the out of the <laughs> You know, we're, we're flying in and we flew a, a, an all night flight because we were doing te- a television show. Uh, and they, they were ha- they had two different unions and they they hated each other and they had breaks and, and, and uh, dinners and lunches at different times. So and when one one stopped, the other one had to stop whatever it was that they did. And it was, it was maddening and they had a lot of technical problems. And uh, so it got down to the, the, the last take. We said, we've got a, we got a gig we, we have to go to. And this is the last fl- flight. We're going to fly all night, which we're not thrilled about. But if you don't get it this time, you don't, you don't, you, you don't get it. And uh, also on that, on that, it was Andy Williams. Also on that show was Ray Charles. Uh-huh. And to add a little, little uh, uh, frosting on the cake. It was the, a reunion of Ray Charles and the Ray Letts, and they hadn't seen each other or worked together in, in years. And it was really, you know, you, could, you know, they were, they were crying and hugging each other. And, and to meet, see one of your idols there and be able to listen to him rehearse. I mean, I, I, I had a cold by the time the, 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 that was over because I had had so many chills just listening to Ray and, seeing the wonderful reunion of a group and uh, it was really cool but anyway we got the take but right in the middle of it there's a big feedback and it wasn't us it, it came from one of the unions but it's if you ever see the the reruns of the Andy Williams show you'll you'll hear hear it or see it John rolled his eyes and then we we ran down and got in the limo and went to the airport and then flew all night so when we get to where we're going, we, we were supposed to go a, a certain way. And, and they said, well, that's all different now. We're going to have to get you fly into a, a smaller airport that's closer because we can't use the roads. Yeah. What do you mean? There's, it's not raining or anything. <laughs> they said, no, but there are 
hundreds of thousands of people that are, have come to this thing and they, they, there was a traffic jam. So they just left their cars in the, in the street where they were and, and they walked in. And I said, you can't be serious. Said, oh, yeah, there's there's 500,000 people here. And now we're going, oh, OK, there, there, there is no way there's going to be 500,000 people. Make a long story short, they had to, they flew us in. A two-man helicopter turned into a three-man helicopter. And I was sitting, John was sitting in the middle. The pilot was in the pilot seat, of course. And I'm sitting on the, the uh, I've got my leg out the door, and I'm <laughs> and it's one of those bubble tops that looks like a dragonfly. And I'm, I'm holding the door because otherwise it's, it'll be flapping in the wind and hit it, beating my leg. And so my, and my right, right leg was out of the helicopter on the on the skid, it didn't have wheels, so it's on the skid. I'm with my right leg. I'm holding the door semi shut. My legs in the, in there, and then uh, I'm holding on to John's uh, safety belt, and my left cheek is on his seat. We're showing the seat, so we're flying in, and it was a perfect time to come in and see this wonderful, magnificent sight, because the sun was was going down. And, you know, when the sun goes down, the sun rays get more direct and things seem brighter and more colorful. And as we came up, we came up uh, over this little rise and there they were, there they were. And, and I said, it's a patchwork quilt of humanity. I remember saying that. I said, I remember that for the rest of my life. And I said, at least four and a half hundred thousand people here. They're, they're, it's, it's unbelievable. And so the, the, the helicopter was landing next to a three-story building. And the, there was a window open on the top floor. And two beautiful ladies were looking out, waving at each helicopter that came in. And it was Joan Bias and Judy Collins. <laughs> I said, I think this is going to be a good one. Then, then, it, then it became a kind of a nightmare because we were supposed to headline. Uh, we, I don't know how our equipment got in to this day. Uh, I don't know how it happened, how they even hooked up, were able to hook up with us. We had a show to do, and that that was, you know, the the, the focus. We weren't going to go running out and dr take drugs and and be shuck our responsibilities just because other guys were doing it. We were there to play a show, and we there were a lot of problems um, about that uh, rain, electronics, people uh, not going on because of the rain. Uh, problems with going over their time a lot of time limit <laughs> yeah um, so we we didn't the headliner got on stage sunday morning at about one or two in the morning and uh, uh we played i thought we played all right considering uh the the, the situation and uh john john said we didn't play well well and wouldn't allow the the us to be on the in the movie or on the uh, on the record, and uh, so nobody knew that we were there. And quite honestly, uh, I I think if we weren't there, uh, there wouldn't have been it wouldn't have happened. And and I'll, and I'll I'll explain that. Uh, all the big bands who had real managers were sitting on the sidelines waiting for somebody 
incredible. And at that yeah. time, we were number one. We were number one in the world in record sales, and we were number one concert draw uh, in '69 and '70. So we're number one in in the world. And um, so they're waiting for somebody to go in. All the big guys, uh, you know, the, the the Who and and this and that, Jimi Hendrix and all of them. So when we said, okay, we'll do it. They all jumped in. Now, what happens if we say, nah, you guys don't have enough experience. We're going to, we're going to pass. I don't think it would have happened. Wow. I, don't, I honestly don't. So there's something uh, to throw in there, a little historical theory, uh, if you will. And, uh, but, uh, now, you know, John's embraced the whole thing. He even has a Volkswagen bus that's, <laughs> it's too neat a paint job. It doesn't look like the real thing, but anyway, he's embraced it and, and, uh, which is good, but we'll never be in the movie and, and people will, most people will never know that we were there, but, uh, historically that's, you know, that's the big one and, and there'll never be another one. Uh, because of, uh, and then I'll tell you what, uh, if there would have been beer there instead of weed, I think there would have been a lot more violent, uh, there would have been violence, there was none. Uh, but people just got stoned and said the hell with the, the rain and played in the mud like kids and, and shared uh, whatever they had because there was certainly not enough food or drink or toilets for that many people. I mean, they were hoping to have 50,000 people there. And so they had 10% of what they needed in terms of, of uh, facilities uh, and things. Yeah. Basic necessities uh, <laughs> for the, for the public at large. A lot of people peed on trees. I can tell you that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's incredible stories. I mean, if you'd have said no, then then the biggest concert in history might not have happened. That's, that's fascinating stuff. Um, yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Cosmo. Um, I've, I've, I've enjoyed every minute of it. I love hearing your stories. And we wish you all the best of luck with the Clifford Wright uh, material that comes out in the future. And uh, it'd be great to catch up with you again. We hope it all goes well for you. Thanks, Paul. The wonderful Doug Cosmo Clifford there. As was said, Credence Clearwater Revival were one of the biggest bands in the world during those late 60s, early 70s years, era-defining in many ways. Made up of Cosmo on the drums, Stu Cook on the bass, John Fogerty was the lead singer, lead guitarist and primary songwriter in the band, and his older brother Tom Fogerty was the rhythm guitarist. Now, the roots of the band go back to 1959, and various name changes later, they settled on Credence Clearwater Revival in around 1967, which led to worldwide fame. But the story of the band is, is not a fairy tale one though sadly. Many disagreements and recriminations led to the band's split after four chart-topping years in 1972, a year after Tom Fogerty had left the band himself. The full four-piece never properly patched things up and Tom sadly passed away before they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now as you heard him say in the interview, Cosmo and Stu played and toured for many years as well as Credence Clearwater revisited playing the songs of the band. Now, for a band with such a short span in terms of recording years, the music that John wrote and they performed and released was incredible. Seven albums released in four years, with all but one being certified platinum in the US. They have a catalogue of songs full of anthems and classics, which makes today's top five list as hard as any I've had to do on the show so far. 
Now, whittling the tracks down, initially I got them to about 12. I had to make some tough calls to get them into a top five. And I honestly feel so bad leaving out some of the tracks that I have because I know if you ask me again in a month or so's time, the list could well be different again. But for now, here's my favourite tracks of theirs. This is the top five Credence Clearwater revival songs according to Vintage Rock Pod. At five is a song that seems synonymous with Ike and Tina Turner these days, but the original is superb. From their second album, Bayou Country, it went top ten all over the world in 1969. Rolling on the river, indeed. At number five is Proud Mary. Number four is their biggest hit in the UK, went to number one and is taken from their album Green River. It's full of weather imagery with earthquakes, lightning, hurricanes and rivers overflowing. And number four is Bad Moon Rising. My number three is a funky little number with a big sing-along chorus. It sounds almost like an autobiographical tune with the four boys on the corner trying to bring you up. It's the opening track on the album Willie and the Poor Boys. And number three for me is Down on the Corner. And number two is a track I've always loved, one of their later singles from 1971 off their sixth album Pendulum. It's an acoustic guitar number with a sad, sombre vibe, but again a killer chorus. Some say it's about the Vietnam War, some speculate it's about the end of 60s idealism. John Fogerty has been quoted as saying it's about the rising tensions in the band that led to his brother leaving. Either way, it made for a great song. And number two for me is Have You Ever Seen The Rain? If there was any jubiety about the subject matter for number two, this certainly isn't about my number one track. It's about class division and Vietnam, and the solidarity with soldiers fighting over there. This quickly became an anti-war anthem. It's an upbeat, rocky number which brilliantly showcases the gravelly, raw vocals of John so well. From the Willie and the Poor Boys album, the number one Credence Clearwater revival song, according to the vintage rock pod, has to be the iconic Fortunate Son. And I know you're going to be saying, how could he leave out Up Around the Bend or Born on the Bayou or Who'll Stop the Rain or Looking Out My Back Door? Again, Commotion and Ramble Tamble were so close for me as well into the top five, but there we have it. As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the list. Where do you agree? Where do you disagree? Drop me an email, vintagerockpod at gmail.com. Or you can message me on the socials as well. Just search for Vintage Rock Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube and give us a like or a follow on all those sites as well. And you can sign up to become a VRP VIP P2. You can receive a once-a-week newsletter where you find out first about future guests. You get your chance as well to put a question to them and lots of other interesting things that I don't always get time to share on here with you. Just go to vintagerockpod.com, fill in the form on that first page. It's free, doesn't cost you anything, and I'm not going to be passing on your data and you'll only ever get one email a week, I can promise you that. So, there you go. Sign up to become a VRP VIP today, vintagerockpod.com. Uh, also, don't forget, Vintage Rock Pod Side 2 is going to be out every Friday. It's a magazine-style show with various different guests full of classic rock content for you. Now, last week's Side 2 had a UK rock festival organiser talking about how they're arranging this year's festival with the COVID issues and getting bands booked and all that sort of stuff. There was also an American concert fan talking about his concert experiences and the tickets he's bought for the first time in over a year. And we also got the latest classic rock news from author and music journalist with Record Collector magazine and Universal Music, Tim Peacock. So loads going on in there. If you've not heard that one, go back and have a listen. And on next week's Vintage Rock Pod Classic Rock Stories Monday episode, I'm going to have another guy who played at Woodstock. Yes, you heard that right. A second guest who played at Woodstock, the legendary festival. Find out more about that next Monday. Until then, though, and the next episode, which comes out on Friday, which is side two, remember, if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock, just tell them, my music is better than yours. Take care. 
What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.